0: Log Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. I stroll through the pictures, What I've left behind, you once again.
1: I'm locked up in memories
0: They all intertwine The
1: memories living In my my, mind I know
0: tomorrow Cause that zone come We'll, never know
2: just what you've done. well, good evening. I'd like to welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now Talk Radio Show, sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Today is. Monday, March 13th, 2023. This is scan number 3136. And uh, my name is Temelope Bennett. I am from Sarasota, Florida. And on my host team this evening is uh, our NASA family member and host Kim Lakin from Colorado. And uh, we welcome you to the show tonight. We have a very uh, special show. This is a special guest night. Uh, show format, and tonight's special guest, uh, his name is Keeper Katran Whitney, and he is from Woodland Hills, California. A little bit more about Keeper, and Keeper, I really hope I'm not butchering your last name, um, <laughs> a little more about Keeper from the bio that he provided us in a few minutes, but I wanted to initially talk to you a little bit about NASA and NASA's mission, because as you know, NASA is all about child abuse inter- trauma, excuse me, child abuse trauma intervention, prevention, and recovery. If you'd like to participate in our show this evening, you are welcome to do so. The number to call in anytime during the next 90 minutes is area code 646-595-2118. Again, the number to call in to participate in tonight's show as a panel member is area code 646 595 and Kim, my co-host, will greet you on our back line um, to introduce yourself and invite you into the show. So as I mentioned, uh, NASCA has a very important mission. Uh, we have a single purpose at NASCA, and it's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, neglect, And we do so with only two goals. The first, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, abbreviated CSA, presenting facts, showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested and the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. So we do encourage you to call in and participate in the show tonight if you wish to be on our panel, uh, no experience necessary. And as a panel member, you'll have an opportunity to ask uh, Keeper a question uh, regarding his story. This is his show tonight. He is honors our special guest. So the number to call in is area code 646 595 Before I bring Keeper on live, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about him from the bio that he provided us with, and as I mentioned, Keeper, and I know I'm going to verify this with you, Keeper, it's Katran Whitney. is from Woodland Hills, California. He is a child abuse activist. Keeper is the author of a soon-to-be-released book entitled Helplessness, The Hidden Trauma, Brother Experience after we learn our sisters have been sexually abused by our parents. It is the first of a three book series, Helplessness, Hopefulness, and Happiness. I'm looking forward to reading the series myself. In 1977, Keeper's Family made Billboard Magazine's top 100 for both an album and a single. After years of living in poverty, they could see their way out when Motown Records called. And to quote, days before we were, to be, we were to sign our contract, my brothers and I learned a dark family secret. My stepfather had been sexually abusing my four sisters for years, and in my and my mother knew all along. It took years for Keeper to talk to them because his older sister had said to four innocent brothers, and I quote, this is a quote from his sister. It didn't happen to you boys. It only happened to us girls. You can't talk about it, ever. Well, the brothers need to talk to someone, but the people they needed to speak to the most, their sisters wanted nothing to do with the four boys. Keeper points out that there were no books and no article about a brother's torment, guilt, and shame. And to quote keeper, we can't and must become allies we can and must become allies with our sisters in the fight against child sexual abuse. Alliance, an invisible unspoken wedge exists between sisters and brothers. There are no support groups or even a one-step program. There is currently no outlet for brothers. There is no support system.
0: He concludes,
2: we can and must become allies for sisters in the fight against child sexual abuse. Brothers need a voice in the child sexual abuse space. Wow. I couldn't agree more. And uh, to keep, I'm going to unmute your line right now and welcome you into the show. Um, Keeper, you're live, and I am Penelope. I'm co-hosting with Kim, and just welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you very much, Penelope. Happy to be here.
2: Uh, well, we're it's our honor and, and privilege to to have you on, on the show um, this evening. And as you know, um, you are a NASCA family member forever, so um, is this your first show with NASCA, <laughs> or have you been on before?
1: This is the first.
2: Well, great. Well, well, welcome. We're welcome, and as I mentioned, we call ourselves the NASCA family um, because we are we are a family in this. You know, we are we are connected mm-hmm. in this experience. And although our experiences and our stories may be slightly different, a lot of times the feelings are the same. And man, could mm-hmm. I relate as I read read the bio to, to what you were saying? And and I just I'm already, you know, I don't want to skip ahead to the end because we like to go chronologically when we have special guest <laughs> nights starting in the very beginning, as is your bio. But, um, but wow, I'm just, you know, such an honor to, to read the bio mm-hmm. um, and welcoming you in. So, so uh, with that being said, I know it's a 90-minute show and it sounds like it was not even, it's was 90 minutes a long time, but it will fly by. And uh, we have a growing panel. I've um, got myself um, on the line, Kim Lakin, who greeted you. We have I'm um, Philip, a returning um, from California as well, returning NASCA mm-hmm. family member, and yourself, and our our panel uh, will people call in and out. So if they're not calling in; they're definitely listening um, all over the world, as as you may or may not realize. NASCA is an international organization, um,
0: mm-hmm. and we have
2: people all over the world that either are streaming live or these shows are archived, and we'll listen um, after they're archived um, and on our website. So what the really coming on the show is a gift that you give to yourself and to us and to all of the, the uh, individuals in the world. And there are about a billion of them that are affected by child sexual abuse. So yeah. Um, they yeah. Are mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen to. So um, I'll break to the panel every 20, 25 minutes. So, you know, ask if that's okay, but um, you know, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I'll kind of prompt you along with some questions, but just to let sure. you know, you know, Kim, and NASCA in general, this is your show, this is your story, and so you're in control, and you might get a question if you don't feel comfortable answering it, just you don't have to, it's, it's, you're totally in control. Um, but we mm-hmm. do like to start, um, as, as I started in your bio, just, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, where you were born, what your family was like, you know, kind of the earliest memories, earliest childhood years through about 18 or 20, and then I'll break to the panel, but just if you could provide just a, a a snapshot, if you will, um, for the context of, of your story. That would sure. be great.
1: Sure, Penelope, sure. Uh, my story uh, really begins in 1971 as it relates to me being a brother. In 1971, I was 12 years old. We were living in South Central Los Angeles. My family of ten, four four boys and four girls, as you mentioned, Penelope, we were very impoverished. And to make... Uh, more money. My mother, who came from a singing family in Portland, decided she was going to sing on weekends. But as good as she was, it wasn't enough. However, her kids, my seven brothers and sisters, and I, we loved to sing. We loved pretending that we were the Jackson Five. And one day, she heard us singing around the house and said, "Do you guys want to sing? Because if we can, if you do, we could make more money as a family." So. Uh, we started doing that. We started, next thing you know, singing on weekends and after hour club in Los Angeles and what I like to say, the Whitney family was born. Uh, one Saturday afternoon, we were rehearsing, singing uh, um, Michael Jackson's ABC, as easy as one, two, three. The next thing you know, the phone rings. And our mother goes over to the telephone and gestures to us to keep singing. And she says, hello, who is this? And she says, say that again. And then she tells us to stop singing and points at the phone and says, Michael Jackson's on the phone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. That Michael Jackson. He had called to speak to my the brother directly under me because he had heard of him and he had actually heard of us and said, I heard you sing and dance just like us, you guys keep going, keep going, don't stop. So jump forward seven years to nineteen seventy seven. It was a year of magic for us. Everything we touched turned to gold. Concerts, uh, TV shows. We made Billboard Top 100 twice for single and album. And we we were on our way. And so one day, my sister screams upstairs, calls all us boys, Keeper, Daryl, Aaron, uh, James, come downstairs. Family meeting. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is it. I'm about to become rich. I'm about to become famous. And I run downstairs. Tim, I sprint, I'm at a Penelope, I sprint into the living room and my other seven brothers and sisters were already waiting. And I'm thinking, huh, that's odd because my three sisters, the three youngest, I have two twins that are, the, I have twins that are the youngest, two twins, twins that are the youngest and, and their sister before them, they are always talking, but they weren't saying a word. They were in the, the corner of the couch, huddled <laughs> together, quiet. Now, my oldest sister, the one who pointed at us boys, she was pacing the archway lead from the living room to the dining room. I'm like, okay, what's going on there? Within seconds after I go and arrive into the room, arrive in the room, my mother and stepfather come in. And my stepfather, who's uh, 6'6", goes and sits down in a brown recliner and immediately bends over and puts his hands over his face. I'm thinking, is he sick? What's going on? Mm. My mom, who's usually bubbly, effervescent, walks in the middle of the room and turns around and she is stoic. She doesn't say a word. Little did I know I was about to hear the words no brother could ever prepare for, no, the words no mm-hmm. brother could ever or ever wanted to hear. She turns, and when she finally speaks, she says, Willie has been molesting your sisters for years. And I'm like, wait, what? This is not what I was expecting. So I am dazed. Me and my three brothers are knocked off balance. We don't know what to say or what to do. And then my mom drops another bomb. She says, I have known all along. And mm-hmm. you're a brother. What do you do with that? There is no way we could prepare prepare for that Unbeknownst to us brothers, my sisters knew all about the conversation that was about to be had. And so we were the only four unprepared for the conversation. So we had no time to process. We had no time to comprehend what we heard. And then my oldest sister, the third, I'm the second oldest, she spun around and pointed at us boys and said, you can't talk about it. It didn't happen to you. It only happened to us girls. You can't talk about it ever. And like that, with the snap of a finger, relationships that could never be broken, they lay on the living room floor in shambles. And so when you're a brother, what do you do? The people we needed to speak to the most that could help us had just told us they wanted nothing to do with us. So that began a 45-year journey for me of trying to figure out what to do. Because as a brother, you're expected to act, to do something. And if you don't do something, if you don't strike, if you don't beat, if you don't do something, there's Mm -hmm. something wrong with you. And the challenge with that as a brother is, first of all, you don't know what to do with the information that you just heard. Now, it's one thing to be a man in this world and deal with sexual uh, abuse, but if you're a woman, you are a target every single day. It doesn't even compare. However, um, men and brothers, we do have our challenges with it. And when it comes to the conversation around child sexual abuse, there's no one for us to go talk to. No one ever asks once everything comes out, Mm -hmm. are you okay? Uh, No one sees us. No one checks on us. No one ever asks, do you need to talk? But we are asked, how could you not know? How could you not see? How could you not see my tears or hear my weeping? How could you not save me? And so I heard those whispers. I heard those conversations. And yet we want to be able to talk, but we are told we cannot talk. And the trauma that follows us, the burden that we carry, it is incredible, and there's no place to go. I went out and tried to find something. In, in 1977, obviously, there was no Google. So I only had bookstores and libraries. And I mm-hmm. could go into a library and find books upon books upon books for women and girls as they rightfully should be filled with them because the trauma is that bad. But there was nothing that spoke to the challenges of brothers, it, 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 it's as if society believed we were an inconvenient truth. Uh, we are what's left behind. Just about mm-hmm. everyone else within our family got attention, uh, be it uh, my mother for what she did, my stepfather for what he did, my my four sisters, but we boys, we brothers, uh, we are what I like to call, in the conversation, we are the last taboo. Because it starts to touch on things of how men and boys are raised historically uh you've got to be tough, you've got to be strong, and you can't do any of these things that that oftentimes uh, will show uh, a weakness in the eyes of so many people and particularly uh, men, so my journey as far my this puts me in the in the category of the di- indirect victim, and it's happened just what so happened six years before my sisters were sexually abused. Me and my older brother were sexually abused by our babysitter almost daily for six months. Mm-hmm. So I understand both sides of the coin. I, I am one side, I am the damaged side, mm-hmm. and on the other side, as an indirect victim, I am the collateral damage. And so uh, this went on and on and on until one night about five years ago, I had started writing my book, Helplessness. And I was telling my wife, we were in bed, and I said, you know, I I, I have got to talk to my sisters. I must talk to them because they need to know I'm writing this book to my brother. Uh, apparently there's never been a book written about sexual abuse from a brother's perspective on the trauma they experience after learning of their sister's sexual abuse. Because as I said, no Mm -hmm. one ever considers us in the conversation. So my wife looks at me and she says, you know you're a victim. And I told her, no, I'm not. She said, of course Mm -hmm. you're a victim. Look at you, you're sweating, you're a Mm -hmm. mess, you're shaking. How can you not see you Mm -hmm. and your three brothers are victims? I said, "Well, well, hold on a second. I'm only here to talk about my sisters said that I want to talk to them. And she says, you are a victim too. And Penelope, up until that point, it was complete denial, not because I didn't want to admit it, it's because I didn't recognize that I was a victim. I had no idea until five years ago that even what our babysitter was doing to me was sexual abuse. And keep in mind, I am 64 years old, and I never identified with that as being a sexual, child sexual abuse victim. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it was incredibly difficult. So um, I eventually decided I wanted to write the book, Helplessness. but in order for me to do it, I had to, as I said, I had to speak to my sisters about it. I had to let them know. And calling them to tell them was one of the scariest things of my life that I I ever did. I would reach to pick up the phone, and I would set it down because it was so heavy because of fear. And I would put it off. With each sister, I put it off. I, I, I put it off for almost a month. And then I called my second sister and said, I I need to talk to you. I want to write this book. And I'm expecting all of this heat, this anger, this vitriol just come pouring my way. But she did the complete opposite. She said, of course you should write a book. All you boys should write a book. Mm. It's not my story. It's not a girl's story. It's you boys' story. People need to know what brothers go through you should write this book and I'm standing at her house right in front and I am just in tears I didn't know what to say I didn't know what to do it was the last thing I expected because they had told us we can't talk to them and so I eventually went to each sister uh, that was willing to talk that would be three of the four and they all said you have got to write this book and I'm like wait a minute this is not what you guys are supposed to be saying. This is not so, what I was it, expecting.
2: So if you don't mind, if I pause right here, because it's sure. not, you know, I have so many thoughts and, you know, thoughts going through my head and comments that I want to make and questions that I have for you. And I, you know, and, and the minute that, you know, you said, you know, I want, you know, I want to call my sister, you know, with the, the first sister that you want to start with, you know, to tell her, You know, that I'm going to be writing this book, phone. I mean, A, it makes it real, right? It really makes it real. Mm -hmm. And B, it sounds like you you were so shocked at the response because doesn't it take you back to feeling like that young boy, you know, in 1977? That was the year, right, where you were called downstairs for this family meeting?
1: Yeah, it it takes me back to the little picky phase. Uh, Yeah. uh, Just that little five-year-old boy. Right.
2: Because, I, yeah, until we speak about these things, I feel we're stifled. Even though our chronological age is older, you know, the experience is stifled um, because of depression, right, that you held everything mm-hmm. in. And, right. well, you know, you had that conversation with your wife and, your, you know, your wife identified you that you were victimized. And it was the first time that you'd even, you know, had that realization and it and it took someone pointing it out to you and that's just not uncommon and i really want to say thank you for all that you shared because so many of us live in what we thought was normal or in this you know sometimes your trust memories are just things that we remember but we really don't mm-hmm. take it in context other than it will it was what was normal to me in terms of my upbringing you don't see it in a different perspective um right. and so for bringing that up as well I mean i didn't you know this is not my story, but I didn't you know realize that I was molested from by my father until I was forty nine years old I mean I'd never forgotten mm-hmm. it that's mm-hmm. what dad did Here I am a grown woman so when you are relaying this, this is just our like I said our, our experience might be different, but a lot of the the steps in the process of recovery are, are very similar and um, so I appreciate you you sharing that, and I know so many are going to resonate um and learn from what you're sharing. I think the other thing that really struck me, uh, well, several things that struck me, but, you know, here you are being called down to a family meeting, and all these wonderful things are happening for your family musically. I mean, my gosh, you got a call from Michael Jackson. You know, you have songs that are hitting the billboards. And you're at the pinnacle of, you know, the cusp of your family, you know, something exploding it should have been the best of times.
1: Yeah. Well, we, it didn't, the uh, not only did 70, 77 explode, but we actually got the call from Motown in 1977. Mm-hmm. They had chosen us to actually replace Michael Jackson and Jackson 5. Six years after oh we got God. the call from Michael Jackson, they actually, that's who we were going to be signing with that week when that meeting took place. We have chosen you guys to replace them because they had lost them to Epic Records three years earlier.
2: And so here here you are at, the, at what should be you know the pinnacle of just making it you know in terms of your aspirate, musical aspirations of family and you come downstairs to this family meeting and you and you immediately can tell something is not right you know they they're, your sisters yeah. are not chatting right and and right. It, it's dead air it's just the stillness is, was probably palpable the tension was probably mm-hmm. palpable
0: Mhm. Not only were you giving me news the hor- horrific, uh,
2: heinous crimes that were committed against your sisters. Um, but what I heard too there, because your mother knew in my own experience, if a mother knows and looks the other way, it's a huge betrayal. So your boy yeah. your boys were also huge betrayal there to be betrayed by Someone's parent is very painful.
1: Um, well, in 1966, awesome. when my older brother and I were being uh, molested by our babysitter, I told my mother at that time, and her response to me was, "Well, baby, that's I, I can't do anything about it right now." So mm-hmm. I think uh, my stepfather, who was who had begun dating my mom early in '66, saw that reaction and probably mm-hmm. thought, okay, I know how she's going to react if I go after her daughters because she's already betrayed her son. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that's really hard. So, yeah, so yeah. As, yeah. as the story continues, so, um, I, yeah, I, you actually, go
2: right ahead. Please. And I continue, Keeper? I'm just wondering if you're okay if I break to the panel right now. Because um, we're already 30 minutes in. Can you believe it? Um, wow. If I... If no, go right I ahead. Know. I know. Is that okay? And sure, we'll go right ahead. More?
1: Absolutely.
2: Okay. Yeah, they can ask me whatever Great. they
1: want. Nothing's off the okay. table.
2: Okay. Thank you. So, Kim, I'd like to just invite you into the conversation with Keeper.
0: Thank you, Penelope. And hi, Keeper. I am Kim. just... Sitting here with my mouth open, going, "Oh, my heart just hurts." You as a brother—I mean, this is a whole new perspective for me. Really, I have never thought of it this deeply as you have. Of course, because I'm not a brother, but mm-hmm. um, I had a brother. He passed away six years ago, but um, and I know that, although he was younger than me, he was only a couple years younger than me. Um, yeah, I just I wonder. I wish that I could have that opportunity, you know, to talk to him more. Because I was able to verify that he wasn't sexually abused, but there was a lot of other abuse that was going on in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you know, like like you know, and um, and it was my step our stepdad as well, but he was the only dad that we ever knew. And um, sounds like. A lot like you as well. Mm -hmm. So So, um, the the
1: challenge for for brothers is 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 so incredible because we are expected to answer for a conversation or actions that we are not allowed to participate in. And it how how do you work around that? You know. Knowing what is going on, once you learn about it, and you are, your self-esteem is constantly taking a hit, your self-worth takes a hit. Mine did. It was horrible. Um, and I, Once I found out, my mother said she was going to handle putting him out of the house. Nine years went by before she put him out of the house. And as I say in my book, I'm incredibly vulnerable about this. As a brother, if my mother's going to handle it, she's going to handle it, which meant I didn't have to do anything. It was was kind of like this warm blanket, right? I didn't have to act because she's going to handle it. And so you're constantly do something, do something, but everyone's telling you you can't. So it took me nine years uh, before I did something, about three Weeks before my wedding, uh, I was just obsessed with I got to get him out of the house. And I met him at the top of the stairs three weeks before my wedding. I didn't tell my wife. I gave him 24 hours to leave the house. Otherwise, I was going to kill him the next day. And I had the instrument of his death in my bedroom waiting to kill him. And luckily for him, he left because if I had done something. Either he was going to die or I was going to die. I was okay with me dying because I was going to get rid of them. Not thinking I was just in a really dark place but not thinking that would have been even more traumatizing for my sister but that's where brothers go often with this. Uh, We have got to do something and it's not, it's no longer boys, it's men on men and it's incredibly dangerous.
0: Yeah, brave and and open and, and wanting that voice, I appreciate that, and it gives me a whole different perspective. And um, yeah, so thank you for for just sharing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Thank you, Kim. Thank
2: you, Keeper, we have we have another guest um, on um, Phillips in California. And before I bring Philip on, I, I want to say something to you, Keeper. Um, you are my hero. And I, I want to let you know that brother, my father grew up in a very abusive home, and the story is not about me, but I was molested by my father. My mother looked the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is very similar when you were mentioning your, your mother's, um, looking the other way when you were molested. It was that resonated with me. But mm-hmm. um, my own brother. Uh, still denies well doesn't deny that what happened to me um is valid his position mm-hmm. is it was my fault and mm-hmm. if i hadn't been born and if i you know yep. life would have been better if i hadn't been in it and yep. he has that position yep. to this day so not all mm-hmm. brothers are like you. and i really commend you for the work that you're doing
1: two of my so brothers are you're, like your brother Actually, two of my brothers say it's my sister's fault, even at the ages five mm-hmm. and six years old. They were the ones who seduced my stepdad. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about?
2: Yeah. And, you know, um, you, lead, you lead a very powerful example. And um, some people can't face their own pain. Um, mm-hmm. And things that are painful, you know, painful for me. Um, I love my brother, but, um, you know, a child, yeah. a child, you were a child, your sisters were children, you know, children, um, this is a heinous crime against children and no one deserves, no mm-hmm. one deserves, no and one um, for the crimes are committed against them. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you have two brothers that have not, you know, they did not stand firmly in the position with you, but I, you are my hero. I just, I had to tell you that you're amazing.
1: Thank you. I'm Amazing. just putting one foot forward every day. Yeah. Um, my big thing is I constantly want my sisters to be proud of me because I, uh, Penelope, I I messed up. I've, I made some mistakes with this. And uh, um, the greatest regret of my life centers around my way because, you know, for me, knowing I was getting married, I wanted to talk. I want to have a nice relationship with my mother in some form or fashion because I wanted my kids to know her. Mm -hmm. And so I told her, um, okay, look, understand I do not want him at our wedding. I don't want it. So I'm looking to offer an olive branch so we can have some kind of relationship. But if you want to invite him but know that I don't want him, you can. And I'm thinking, okay, she's not going to do it. She's not going to betray us again. And so she said, okay, I'll think about it. And I thought, okay, hold on. What is there to think about? So a couple of days later, she says, I have decided to invite him. And I said, what the hell? And the next thing you know, he's in our wedding. And the brother who put him out is responsible for him being back in the wedding. Simply because I wanted to try to have some kind of meaningful relationship with my mother. And it is the only regret of my life that I did all that to get him out. Um,
0: it doesn't,
2: like well, doesn't sound like he had a lot of support. It's,
1: no, are, no.
2: It's, it's you know, it's easier for someone to look on the side and, and make a you know, and maybe opine, but when you're mm-hmm. living in this reality, it's very, very difficult. Yes, it, is it is very difficult, and things are not cut and dry.
1: Uh, no, they are not. Yeah,
2: it is. It is you're exceptionally. So, true. so I'm gonna actually unmute your line, Philip, because I know you've been waiting. So I have Philip. You are on with Keeper.
1: Hi, Philip. Hello. Um, what did you feel for work now? I'm sorry. What is your career position? Was my career position? Now I'm retired. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, thanks for calling, Philip. Did you have? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Great. Right. Thanks for the question. For
2: so, okay. So, Keeper, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll hand it back over to you. And I know that you okay. know we we left off. Um, so you can continue on
1: wherever you sure. want to
0: pick
1: up. Sure. So I had mentioned that I had given my stepfather 24 hours to leave the house. And it, it, it's, really, it's really quite a story because I knew I was going back there to kill him. And I just at the time, my bedroom was upstairs that so I was still standing at home and get ready to move out and live permanently with, with my wife. And their bedroom was upstairs, and I was in the bedroom waiting for a couple hours to hear him come out of the bedroom until I finally heard the creak sound of the door open. And he starts walking out, and I crack my door, and I look out, and I see him. And like I said, he's six feet tall, and he wore a natural that put his height over seven feet. I'm five foot nine. He's 240 pounds. I'm 145 pounds. And I just slowly walked up to him and said, I give you 24 hours to leave this house But if you are still here by this time tomorrow, you will be dead because I will have killed you. Uh, That moment, I didn't tell anyone in my family what I did for 45 years. All they knew was that he was gone. And when I told my sisters about it uh, six years ago, they said, you're the one who put him out out of the house? I said, Yes. Then how come you didn't tell anyone? I said because it wasn't important. What was important is that you knew you were safe, that you knew he was gone. It wasn't about me tooting my horn or anything. That I did. I didn't. I wasn't looking for that. I just needed to get him out of the house. So um, I got to talking, as I said, uh, years later to my sister about wanting to write the book, and she said you should. So I went to a conference in San Diego, and this was really, really a turning point. I had gone to. A conference in San Diego in 2013, it's a book, you know, on how to write a book. So I wanted to write the first book from my brother's perspective on what happens once you learn your sisters have been sexually abused. At the conference, the last day, a couple of hours before the three-day conference end, I got a chance to share my story. And when I went back, I went to the front of the stage. I told them a little bit about it. The room went silent. It was quiet. You could hear a pin drop on the carpet. I went back to my seat and I was swamped by women saying they wish their brothers could hear my story. They wish their brothers uh, could mm-hmm. be here. It it became so intense I had to leave the room. I walked out of the hall and within seconds I was surrounded again by even more women saying they wish their brothers had known. I, I should have told my brother. I should have spoken to my brother. But the three stories that stand out the most were from three women who told me their brothers committed suicide after they found out what had happened mm. to them, and said that they committed suicide because they couldn't protect their sisters and what that took, what probably could have saved their brothers was a conversation, certainly a conversation I never had, but that but a conversation uh, to help us bridge our emotional gap of why didn't we know. Uh, uh, how could we not be aware, what do I do now? If I do this, it could be life or death for someone here. These are emotional traumas. It's PTSD once we hear about it. And my sister's saying it didn't happen to us. Of course it happened to us. Of course it did. As soon as we found out, it happened to us. In fact, it was happening to us in the house. We just didn't know about it. Because once one person is sexually abused in the home, the entire family, has been betrayed and is sexually abused, whether you are aware of it or not. So um, I realized that it was so important that I move forward with being an advocate for brothers, that I bring this voice uh, for brothers to the conversation of child sexual abuse because we are looked past, we are looked beyond, no one ever asked, asked us what's going on and My father-in-law, who's white and Jewish, he passed away about three years ago. Uh, We come from different sides of the track. I'm black. I grew up Baptist. He grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in L.A. He grew up in a very uh, uh, upper-middle-class family. I grew up poor. And he knew I was writing this book, Penelope, but he never asked about it. And then one day he called and said, can I read your manuscript? And I said, Sure, Dad. Yeah, yeah, Dad opens, yeah. So I gave it to him. A couple of days after that he calls me and says, Can you come to the house? I want to talk to you. I'm thinking, Okay. So I go over to the house and when I walk in it's just him. My mother in law who is normally there was not there that day. Dad's sitting at the table and I sit down and I love my father in law. My father in law I've had three fathers in my life, my biological father, who died of a heroin cocaine overdose, who was mm. vicious to my mother, mm. my stepdad, who was who was worse, and then my old white Jewish stepfather, who, as far as I'm concerned, is my dad. He mm-hmm. was the example of what a dad should be. He showed me everything of what it took to be a uh a father, mm-hmm. and it was absolutely brilliant. So I go to the house, and I said, okay, uh, Dad, what would you like to talk about? I think I've done something wrong. Of course, is about to go down. He said, sit down. Okay. He said, I'm about to tell you something, but you cannot tell anyone until after I pass away. Mm-hmm. Okay. He said, you can't even tell Your wife, his daughter, you can't tell my daughters, uh, so why my sister lost. I think, okay, what's going on here? He said, I began reading your manuscript, and I had to stop, and I needed to talk to you. He then proceeded to tell me two stories of when he was 16 years old, living in Brooklyn, the man upstairs molested his older sister two times. The first time mm-hmm. he walked in and on them and he stopped. The second time, the same thing. And he said, I want you to know, I understand. Now, he's 96 mm-hmm. years old when he's telling me this. He says, I want you to know, I understand what you're talking about. Now, we have never had a conversation like this, but that conversation crossed racial, religious, political, economic, education. It crossed every single line imaginable, but you had two men from such diverse backgrounds came together and understood that language. And this, as I believe your opening said, it is a pandemic It is so global, this problem of of, of child sexual abuse, but that global problem extends to brothers. And here's my father-in-law saying, you are the person who understands. You're the person I can talk to. You are the person who I can unburden my pain with. And then he he passes away a couple years ago, but he passes away knowing that he was able to finally say something about it. And this is where brothers have to talk, men need to talk and how brothers can become allies in the conversations with sisters on child against child sexual abuse. So that, that, those two things, my father in laws story, what happened in San Diego with those women just said, you know, you just have to keep going. It's uh, you have to elevate, um, the voices for Me brothers do. in this conversation.
2: Oh, but wow, I mean, Keeper, that is just so powerful. And and just the fact that you, I mean, your father-in-law in his 90s had held that in for so long. And 80 you know, your years, car-
1: he's held it for 80 years.
2: Exactly. Oh, my gosh. And you gave, I mean, you gave him that gift because as you know, what it's like to finally speak that truth and release Release mm-hmm. the secret. You know, release, release, release that from oneself. Um, the shame and the guilt um, that we carry um, mm-hmm. within us. You know these unspoken uh, memories, repressed memories. Mm-hmm. We, you know, memory repression isn't only that. You know, we don't remember them at all. It's that we remember them and don't speak them. And Correct. by your courage to, to write that rough draft of manuscript that what a gift you know your the courage of you writing that manuscript and your father you gave him permission to finally tell you about what you've been holding in for 80 years i mean that is just so powerful i yeah. mean, i yeah. know i know that we're a voice you know we have one voice in this like you just mentioned in, the, in our mission statement, it's a pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. The issues, is, 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 it's a pandemic. That the power of just your voice and that one voice, and and, and, and we make an impact. You know, we, you one voice can make a huge impact. And that, thank you for telling that story. I mean, I'm just so moved. So moved.
1: Uh-huh. Um, I I am the, just you know that my father-in-law would. As I, as I said, he would call, uh, this like, wow, I'm the guy you saw to, to share this with. Uh, you know, uh, Penelope, along my journey, uh, I called some therapists and asked for help. In fact, I called three female therapists because I figured they would be perfect. They help women. This is their expertise, helping women. Uh, with their trauma of, uh, 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 after being sexually abused. And when I called each of the women, I told them, uh, this is what I am experiencing. I'm having trauma behind uh, uh, my sister being sexually abused, and I don't know how to deal with this. And each one told me they couldn't help me. And I asked, how come you can't help me? And they said, you're a man. I said, okay. He said, I don't know how to help men with this. And so I said, okay, hold on a second. I am a man in trauma, and your expertise is sexual abuse. You're, you're telling me there's nothing, there's no comfort, there's no words of wisdom, there's nothing you can do to help me? And they said, no, because you're a man. So then I said, okay, let's, let's look at this. Let's say I lost my entire family in a car accident, and I'm the only one who survived. Could you help me? And they each said yes. I said, okay, then. It's that kind of trauma. I lost my family. I need help. And they all still told me there was nothing they could do for me. And so that's when I really realized, you know, there are no books. There are no movies. There are no miniseries. There's no documentaries. There are no articles in magazines or or on talk shows that brothers go on. There's nothing for us. And so... We have to create space for brothers to not only have the conversation, but then we have to create the tools and support systems that help us and stop looking past us. Um, Like I said, I understand both sides have been a victim and an indirect victim, but this is something that is so desperately needed because the mental uh, health challenge behind it, like I said, Men commit suicide. I've spoken to so many men that are so traumatized over this, and they don't want anyone else to know, but they tell me. I'm like, wow, okay.
2: Because that's what you've given them. You've given them a safe place. And you've started the conversation. You've started the support in a very profound way.
1: Well, I am just... I just know that it needs to be out there. Uh, I learned with my sisters, who three of them I have fantastic relationships with now, fantastic, because I took the steps of first recognizing that I am a victim. And if you're going to have any kind of healing whatsoever, you have to recognize and accept that you are a victim, especially if you're a man. You have to accept that you are vulnerable, we are not perfect, we are emotional, and we have things that we need to work on. And then I like to say, uh, like DNA, which is self-replicating, our PTSD will self-replicate unless we do something about it. And it will self-replicate in other ways in our lives that we don't recognize or even understand. Mm-hmm. And so then you, 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 you've you got to find someone to talk to. Um, that was the hardest part uh, because I knew I needed to speak to my sister. So I eventually was able to get there and speak to them and tell them this is what I wanted to do. And they, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was stunned by their response because for years it was – the secret, how, you know, the whispers, how come you didn't say anything? How come you didn't do, do anything? It's only us girls, you boys are out of the conversation, of course. And when we hear those things, all we hear is we don't matter. Our voices don't matter. Nothing about what we have experienced matters, but it does mm-hmm. matter. And, uh, we got to be careful, uh, when we try to apportion, you know, whose trauma is worse. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Like my, like two of my brothers telling my sisters when they're five and six years old, you sexually uh, seduce your stepfather. And that's trying to apportion blame or uh, because of what they possibly could have done once they found out. And we begin to weaponize our language. We cannot weaponize our language against each other. Men and women, boys and girls cannot do that. Uh, And if we can become allies, we can be so much stronger. Uh, That's that's how I see it. And I think my family's tragedy doesn't have to end there. It could do good, which is why I'm telling this three-part story from helplessness to hopefulness to happiness. Uh, Because you go through this metamorphosis of change from trauma to hope. And you look for those people who can help you, those people, places, and things that could do that for you. Hopefully you get to a place of happiness. But And does that happiness mean you're no longer in pain? Of course not. But it means you're getting to a place where you can cope with it, that you are able to seek help when you feel you need it. And hopefully you've uh, surrounded your, your, yourself with people who are just loving, and willing to love on you and give you comfort. Uh, But you've got to go through the recognition phase first. And so, man, we can have so much difficulty with that, especially if you're older. Like I said, I'm 64. It's quite a challenge for my generation.
2: But it's it's men like you um, and people like you Who have it? It really takes courage to have the voice to open up the dialogue. Um, It's hard to be the first to speak. It's so hard to be the first
0: Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: But it's it's important, and it's it. it, And one thing I've learned, and you just you, you, so I'm restating what you said, is that. Um, as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, as scary as it is,
0: um, mm.
2: the impact that it has—and it may not be seen initially—the impact that it has is enormous. And you're giving others permission to come mm-hmm. forward or, or an invitation. It's an o- it's an opening of a of a door, um, and and you planted you know the seeds. Um, very significant in a very significant way, um, but I think it takes real courage. And you're giving me hope, you know, as I'm. You're giving me hope. Um. For myself and, and for all the others, you know, out there, um, that are navigating through this recovery process. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of, um, and hope for my own my own brother and my own family. Um, yeah. Maybe somewhere along his journey, he will run into your work, mm-hmm. um, and wh- whatever. Uh, um, because you're right, we 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 cannot weaponize with our words, and we cannot shame or you know judge uh, others' trauma.
0: Um, yeah. Or
2: blame. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm just so appreciative of uh, of the conversation that's in our in our in our show tonight, and of all the work that you've done, and all the work that you're continuing to do. And uh, I'm a, I'm gonna uh, open it up to the panel again because believe it or not, we're almost 60 minutes in, um, Keeper. And so I do want to give our panel members another opportunity to come on and interact with you. Sure. If you're okay with that,
0: okay, of course. Great.
2: But Kim, I'd like to invite you back in. Thank you, Penelope.
0: And um, thank you for, uh, um, yeah, just want to kind of reiterate what Penelope was saying, and just thank you for, for that gift, being a voice for people like us who hadn't, you know, necessarily thought along those lines of, you know, what did our brothers? go so through mm-hmm. and, and how they go that I I did try and talk a little bit to mine but um he didn't he, he just let me know that he hadn't been sexually abused. But, yeah. um, which was good to know because then he died like within months after we had that conversation and so I was glad that I really at least, you know, came upon that and was able to talk to that. Um so, your, you said that some of your brothers are still blaming your sisters. Yes. For yes. After all of this time.
1: Wow. Yes, uh, they, they are still in denial. To my two youngest brothers, um, and you know we are all on our own journey, but that particular view on that journey. It's mind-boggling. It really is. Uh, because they heard the same things we heard. Yes, I did it. And my mother, yes, I knew all about it. And they know about so of the other stories that became a part of it. Uh, uh, for instance, when we were singing, our car, our van was just breaking down, and we were singing at the Playboy Club in Century City. And there would be this very wealthy Arab guy who would come in, and he was just goggling over my sisters. And my mother traded a night for my 13-year-old sister with that guy to get us a new van. Oh. So that is called sex trafficking. So we've had that as well in our family. Uh, we, my stepdad, uh, one of the other times when he raped one of my twin sisters, got her pregnant. And my mother refused to take her to get her treated. She made her go with the guy who raped her. So hard. Oh my gosh. Uh, my sister, uh, she talked about it. In fact, in, in, in my book, I am incredibly fortunate in that five of my siblings participate. They all contribute. Three sisters contribute. Their story in my book, my older brother and my older half-brother in Portland contribute. So you get a full family view, possibly for the first time, about what happens. And for my sisters to contribute, and they are going to contribute to the book, Hopefulness, and they're going to contribute to happiness, it is amazing that they Bring their voices, my family's voice, six of us to this conversation. It's, it is just a blessing that they would do that. Because in their view, it helps give, uh, women and men who will read helplessness the perspective from the sisters as well. And so there it is all in one place. Because you may get an interview in People Magazine to be from, from this person or to be from that part. From this person in their family, but do you ever get both sides at the same time in this conversation? No, but that's what we did. Oh,
0: I mean, it had to have been a little bit overwhelming to know that you all were coming together. I mean, I'm sure in a good way, but also,
1: yeah, how did that feel? Well, it was one thing to talk to them about what happened. It was another matter altogether to ask if they would contribute to the book, because first of all, they wanted nothing to do with it uh, for a number of reasons. They wanted to be protective of, of themselves, and you know we had to. And then they, a couple wanted to be protective of our mother, the mother who who betrayed them. And I get that. I really do. I understand that. Uh, because for many of us, we still want that connection with our mother. and But this was different. So asking them to participate, to contribute, it was another instance of me waiting for the their wrath to just come pouring down on me. But they all said they would do it because I told them this is not about me making money. This is about giving rise to brothers' voices in this conversation because we don't have one. And hopefully women who read it will see what you have to contribute and say, okay, the sisters also contribute, which will give more weight to what I'm saying. And so uh, we all agree that this was all about helping families because you all know this as well as I do. Last night some little kid went to bed. She closed her bedroom door. She had a great day at school, played with her friends, and at 1 o'clock, someone opened the door and walked in. Tonight, some little kid, boy, girl, is going to go to bed. After having a great day, they aced their spelling test. They got a B on their uh, English test. They had a great day after school, playing with their friends. They had a great night with their parents hanging out, watching movies and playing games. But tonight, one o'clock, that door is going to open and someone's going to walk in. And tomorrow it will happen again. And it happens every day across the globe. Every single day. And our weapon against them is not our silence. It is our voices. That is all we have because they are like a spider in the middle of a spider web. They're just feeding on everyone's emotions. Everyone who knew and did nothing is now part of their protective detail because as long as they remain silent, they are protecting them. Everyone who could have done something is part of the protective detail because you did not come in and save my family or millions of other little kids. You are protective detail. But the only weapon we have is the only one we need, and that's our voices. Stand in our space, firm, strong. We may bend. We may yield a little. That's okay. But root yourself deep into your space and stand there and speak your peace because that is the only thing that works, and it is the thing they are most afraid of. For my sisters... I did find closure for them in 2019. My stepfather was on Facebook, and I decided to keep tabs on him, hoping that one day he would, what I called, come up for air, meaning he would let me know where he was going to be at a certain place in time. His wife, then-wife, passed away Uh, I believe, in November of 2019. In the end of December, he posted on Facebook in mid-January at a church in Van Nuys, which meant he was 10 minutes away from me. I had no idea he was that close. Said there was going to be a going-home service. The funeral had already happened, but they were going to have a celebration of her life. I saw that. I couldn't believe it. There he was. It was time for unfinished business. So I called my sisters and said, I am going to that church, and he will see my face, and we will deal with this. And then third thing was, you go. You go do that. Now, my sisters are very religious. Response was, again, shocking. You go do what you have to do. But just be sure to take your older brother, because we don't want you getting into any trouble. I said, okay, cool. So I went there. <laughs> and i let the church do its thing i let the service go on because i wasn't going to interrupt it but after that happened for 90 minutes the church was mine i took over the entire church he was dealt with Um, it was spectacular uh, because as we're walking into the church before all of it happens My older brother and I were in line, and we're about 20 feet away from the door when we see him standing at the door. He's in a walker, and I quite frankly didn't care what health condition he was in. They could have wheeled him in on a gurney. He was going to see my – but he walked in, and my brother and I would just say, there he is. Now, we hadn't seen him for almost 30 years. And he walked into the church on a walker, using his walker, and my brother and I were thinking, you know – That's BS. We know what's about to happen because we come from a family of performers. So he walks into the church and people surround him. He decides to stand up from the walker because the hand of God has just touched him. And now he walks to the front of the church in all his glory. And I looked at my brother at his feet. It was all for show. So we let the whole thing go on. But before the service starts, the pastor who has never had that many black people in his church ever. He goes back to the gills with black people. He's an old white guy. He's just smiling, bouncing up and down. He's like, oh, this is great. So we see him walking around in front of this one guy, and he says, isn't this a glorious day? This is spectacular. Isn't this glorious? And the guy looks up at him. This is the only person he spoke to in the church. I look up at him. He's talking to me. And I said, yes, this is a glorious day. Now, of all people that he could speak to, he stopped and spoke to me. The only person I said, okay, it's Providence. I'm supposed to be here. So we let it go by. We get in line, and I bring eight pictures of each one of me and my brothers and sisters and myself when we were at the age when he first molested my sisters in 71. Five years old, six years old, seven years old. My seven brothers and sisters and I, we are all seven years apart. My mother had all eight of us by the time she was 25. So I get in line. And when I get in front of him, he looks up at me and the shock, the blood drained from his face. And I just showed him each picture. You did this to her. I drop it on the floor. You did this to her. Drop it on the floor. You did this. Boom, 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 boom. And by the time it was done, we, my, my, my sisters had their closure. Does that mean that they do not deal with it? Still, of course not. But I was able to do what I did not do in 1986. So I was able to reclaim who I am as a man, as a brother. It took me 45 years. But as my son said, Dad, you would not let it go. You were the only one who would not let it go. So um, the closure part was really important for my sisters that I do that. Not only did I feel I or none, that I, uh, you know, I, I, I felt I owed it. It was my job as a brother because I've heard a definition, that the, the definition of what it means to be a brother to a sister is to protect the honor of your sisters. And that's what I was doing. But at the same time, I was looking to recapture mine because I had lost it. I knew how that I had almost committed murder for them, but that was going to be the wrong thing to do because it would have meant more trauma for them. But I didn't know that at the time. You know, I was just, I was in a dark place. So uh, I was able to do that. And that's kind of, you know, how how the actual book itself closes out uh, with a lot of that story. But the closure part is... It's something that we all try to arrive at with our abuse, uh, where we can put it in a place that we can function day to day. Still have our moment. I still hear songs. I still see a part in a movie. And I'm an absolute mess. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. I will cry in front of anybody. It's okay. Because I know what I'm feeling. I'm feeling for my sister's. I'm feeling where, as a brother, even though I didn't know, you know you you, you still carry that, you know it's it's my father-in-law's story, you know, um, it's so many men and so many other brothers' story, you know, it's the three brothers who committed suicide, you know yeah, yeah, I try to we do the best we can, but we need to be in the conversation.
2: And I don't think you can ever, I, you know, Keeper, as you've been sharing all this um, with us and, and, and answering Kim's question, you can the loss, you know, the, the loss of your own innocence when you were molested, the loss of your yes, ability yes, to yes. protect your sisters and the loss that your sisters um, endured, which you could relate to because you had the same Loss um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: of your, loss. Endos- I mean, we, yeah. There we have PTSD symptoms as a result, but we also have grief and uh, from a loss. a yeah. loss yeah. never goes away. It's a death of something. And I, and what I hear you saying is you, you know, there's a lot of self acceptance and self love too. I mean, maybe you had, you know, you weren't able at the time to be the kind of brother that you wanted to be. And there's, I think there's some, some you know, frustration we have with ourselves when we can't um take action. But mhm there's also mm-hmm. love and recovery and I hear I hear that um as you're relaying this and uh and uh, I appreciate that.
1: Um, well I'm just president. doing the best that I can and you're right. It is it is for the recovery. You know, uh, you are you are so right, Penelope. It is for the recovery. And this is what I know, be it if you're a direct victim, indirect victim, uh, boy, girl, man, or, or, or woman, we are all looking for the same things. We are looking to be heard. We are looking to be seen. We are looking to heal. We are looking to find a way forward every day in hope and love it's not always easy to do uh we're looking to be understood because uh, as we said earlier brother did not understand my brothers don't want to understand my sisters but that's we want to be we want to be heard we want to be seen we want to be believed and you know we strive every day for that Uh, it is so critical that we do that well, you're doing it.
0: You want to I, if I, I can. could bring. Yeah.
2: Oh, you are. Mm-hmm. You're amazing. Yeah. You're amazing. I'm gonna bring Philip back on. Um, sure. So, Philip, I just unmuted your line, and, and you're back on with Keeper. Did you have any other questions or comments for Keeper?
1: Um, I had a question, but I forgot what it was.
2: Okay. Well, you know, I'll keep your line um, open. And if you can think of it, feel free to just um, chime in, okay? Okay. So, keeper, we're down. Oh, yes, Kim.
0: Real quick, can I ask one quick question? Because I know we need to get all of his information so we know how to follow him and everything. But um, I want, wanted to know how he got his name. Can you tell us that, keeper? <laughs>
1: oh, sure, <laughs> you know, sure, sure, yeah. He- <laughs> yes, yes. There is a story behind the name Keeper. Uh, I am, uh, my birth name is Nick. Uh, but I was uh, doing a lot of work in, in uh, sales. And I was just one of those people that just kept going and going and going. I did not stop. I just kept going. So uh, uh, my supervisor just started calling me Keeper because you are the only one who just keeps going without hesitation. And the next thing you know, everyone was calling me that. And so that's how it, that's how it came about. That's how it 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 stuck and I like it. Because it just means that I there's always it. work for me to do, just keep going, just keep going. Don't worry about what anyone says or what anyone is going to do. You may be alone, but you just keep going.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, I'm glad I asked.
1: Thank you for sharing. Yeah. That. <laughs> Good oh, question. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> hey, you know, coming from uh, you know, uh, career in in selling um, to have your upper management call you keeper. It's a good thing. <laughs> That's a really good thing. <laughs> job security. Usually right also now, means right? you're going
1: to keep a job too. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah. It's, it's definitely job security.
1: Well, but no, mm-hmm. yeah. I
2: mean, I mean, if if anything, you know, you are incredibly incredibly driven, incredibly determined. Um, you know, I love that spirit of you will not be denied. And as painful as it is, as many hurdles um, as you've faced in your life, um, disappointments, betrayals, loss, your your resilience and your determination is, is absolutely inspiring. And, and, and I'm just, uh, I just feel so, so much gratitude that, that I was able to to know you tonight um, through through your willingness to tell your story on NASCA um, this is a great, great wonderful um, story that is, is going to be listened to in our archive by so many more people um, so many people I know that there are people streaming right now um, that are not live on the panel but um as this uh, show archives um, under scan number 3136, it will remain on the website um, for a long time. And there are going to be so many people that will listen and, uh, and be as inspired and moved um, and, and um, feel hope um, from what you've shared and the work that you're doing. Um, so I am just uh, um so uh, really um, overwhelmed um, by the work that you continue to do and just by your spirit deeper. And, and I think, as I yeah. said, very fortunate that I was able to meet you um, on the show tonight. Um, it's been great, great work. And, you know, it really struck me. Is that, you know, in, in the beginning of, of your story and in your childhood, and as we opened the show and you you had explained your family um, and your siblings and um, the inception of uh, the musical um, um, journey of your family um, rising to, you know, its pinnacle of success and coming, mm-hmm. you know, to a culmination in 1977. Um, and knowing, you know, not only having had received, you know, years prior phone call from Michael Jackson, but knowing that you know you were being approached to replace, um, yeah, the Jacksons, and and um, you know, and, and those that melody of your family may have been stifled then, but the voices, and you you said voices several times, and I was you know made the connection, you know, your voice has evolved over all these years from, you know, the 70s, you know, to to the year, you know, 2019 and beyond. And um, there's a different melody coming out, but, but I believe yeah. that the impact and the message um, is a very important one and one that's very, 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 very profound. And mm-hmm. it's going to, it's obviously different. Inter, very I used to say
1: it like... Uh... At one point, I thought we were brought here, me and my brothers and sisters, to bring music to the world. But now I'm convinced that wasn't it at all. We were brought here to go through everything we have gone through. Mm -hmm. I went to 11 grade schools before I graduated high school. I lived in 21 different places before I moved out. We were homeless three times. Mm -hmm. We went through all of that and this to experience this together, me and my brothers and sisters, so we could help others through our experience. And that's how I choose to look at it. Um, uh, I'm often asked, so do you, do you feel bad about everything that happened? I said, well, on the one hand, yes. But on the other hand, I get a chance to hopefully help millions of little boys and girls avoid what we went through by sharing our story. And otherwise, where are you going to hear a story like this from a brother? There, There isn't one. And so um, I I just look at it kind of how, how, how you're describing. We are seeing, uh, Penelope, we are seeing a different two now. I think one yeah. that has a greater impact.
2: I would agree. I would agree. Well, I I i I made that analogy myself, that connection myself, as you were as you were talking. But coming, from is your experience not mine? But um, I was I was thinking the same thing, you know. And mm-hmm. I always would say to myself, you know, "I didn't, I never." This is nothing. The experience of, of being um, going through that, the kind of trauma um, that you've experienced and we've all experienced um, within the Nazca is not something that one would ever wish for. Um, mm-hmm. But it's something that um, you know we can become a part of uh, a cause mm-hmm. um, of this active, you know, that is even more important than ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm yes. bigger than I, I have something bigger than myself, mm-hmm. and the feeling of of, of doing that work is very, very hard to describe. um, But it's a good feeling. It is the feeling of hope. I think that's what the essence of hope is, Um, and you're capturing it in your writing. Um, But
1: uh,
2: but I really do applaud you.
1: Thank you. I really do. You know, on the word hope, it is to me the most powerful word, the most powerful four-letter word. Uh, Oftentimes people will look at love as the most powerful word. I tend to think it's hope and. When you can give hope to people, you can give hope. You you can give people a sense that there is something possible because to be in love predisposes that you have hope because if you can't hope for love, then you'll never get it. But you got to get to the hope part first. And so hope is the catalyst for dreams and good things happening to you. you we must hold on to it. Uh, otherwise, We just fall into this abyss, and if you are a victim of child sexual abuse, that abyss, if there's no one there to catch you or there's nothing for you to grab onto as you're just falling, falling, falling deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, you might never come out of it. But you've got to have the hope, and it's people like uh, uh, you, Penelope, uh, that you're offering hope through these conversations, through your education. Um, that is the type of thing that is needed so much more today, probably more than ever.
0: It
2: is, and especially um, to reach the audience that you're reaching and to open up a dialogue for brothers Mm -hmm. for men. It's very important. We, you know, we say on napkin, and I know you mentioned something that you know we, we want. I mean, we want to prevent. We want to prevent child abuse. I mean, we're about child abuse prevention. But we also know that, I mean, in my lifetime, I mean, I wish I could say it's, I think it's possible, but I don't. I mean, I don't think I'm able to, you know, be able to stop every single instance of, of child abuse or sexual child abuse. We're not. hmm But what we can do when we voice. Do, you're doing the work that you're doing. We're voicing our stories in the hope that those that have been victimized we're reaching them at a younger age. The average age of uh, in this country, an adult survivor of child abuse, sexual sexual child abuse, starts to go through their own recovery um, at the age of 54. I was mm-hmm. 46. If we mm-hmm. can move the needle, you know, you're moving the needle. If you can move the, you know, you were you were also. Um, it was you know years later, right, as you mentioned in your story, if we can move the needle if we can reach these you know adult survivors in their twenties and in their thirties I mean that is more yes. years of hope in yes. their lifetime that's, that is yes that is there I think' very doable we're doing it, it's happening, it's happening and that yes, it is yeah, that is fabulous. So I've got a couple minutes left. Do you have any last words before I close up the show, Keeper, that you'd like to share
1: with us? Well, I think uh, we've covered a lot. Uh, What I would like to say, if I could just speak to men and and brothers, uh, since that is my area, is you do have power, in your words, and like my father-in-law, who waited 80 years, he found his voice uh, right before uh, he was passing away. And the voice, being able to speak up and speak out to unburden this trauma that we carry, is critical to our emotional and mental health. And, you know, the men that we grow to become, we brothers, uh, will be directly tied to the support we do or do not get around this. So if we don't get support, we continue to carry it, and it becomes very painful. However, if we get the support, Penelope, that you're talking about, then we can reach down decades earlier and speak to young men who are in their 20s and 30s and help them, but we need the support tools and structure in place, and we need to be able to call on legislators and politicians and teachers and all these people who uh say they have a vested interest in this but rarely show up with a vested interest, we need to have uh, this type of dialogue brought to the table and for brothers, we need to be we need to have a seat at the table, we need to have a conversation, we need to be able to speak uh our truth and say what's going on. So uh, I applaud uh, all the brothers and the men uh, to, uh, to find the strength as best they can to, to say something. But at the very least, find one person you can speak to. Find one person who you can share your story with. It is the most essential step of all the steps that you can take to your recovery. That's what I was leaving with.
0: Thank you, Keeper. I
2: wish to thank Kim Lakin, my co-host, and Philip for calling in. i like to thank Keeper. In fact, you like to get in touch with Keeper, um, he has a website. It's Keeper Katran Whitney, and I'm going to spell it K-E-E-P-E-R-C-A-T-R-A-N-W-I-T-N-E-Y dot com, his website. So there's a hyperlink to Keeper and Keeper's bio on the NASCO website under scan number 3136 for tonight's show. Um, it's hyperlinked. If you just click on his name, it'll take you directly to his both his Facebook page, which is Keeper Katran Whitney, author, um, and his website. Um, there's two different links. So there's a way to get a, a hold of Keeper and follow him with his handles. Um, Keeper, I just wish to thank you. As I mentioned earlier, it's been an honor. Um, to host you and welcome you to the NASCA family, the family yeah. now within NASCA forever. Uh, we wish to thank you for coming on. And uh, as I always say when I close out the shows, there are adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. So if you see something, if you hear something, please say something, do something. It is our moral responsibility to take action keep our children safe and to protect them thank you and good night Love Talk Radio Thank you
0: No, honey